0: maybe that's the key question of like, you know when you're doing digital transformation, you don't just sit down and say, what software can I buy off the shelf? It's what what is important work that I want people to still do?
1: This is the zero hour brought to you by Safeguard Cyber. I'm George Committee.
2: I'm Ashley Stone.
1: And today's guest is Sam Shudi, CEO of Unstoppable Software, which specializes in custom software for some of the world's biggest companies. Um, Really fascinating conversation um, around digital transformation. He's had a seat on the front lines of that conversation with many of his customers.
2: Yeah, it gives us some insight into how his customers are responding to the current environment that we're in. We're still living in a pandemic. Um, but also talks about when's the right time to take action, take the leap um, and kickstart your digital transformation journey.
1: Yes, and uh, also of note, we do end our conversation with very serious uh, turn on what can technology companies do in this moment to address racial inequities, uh, both in the current environment and also uh, further upstream as regards education and uh, other representation. But without further ado, let's get into it with Sam
2: Schuette. So Unstoppable Software Inc. has been in existence for over a decade now, which is an incredible feat. You've also been a software developer right out of college. Can you tell us what led you into this industry and stay so long?
0: Yeah, no, good question. So I first kind of got into computers uh, you know, way back in my in my youth, junior high type era, you know, I had a friend who was sort of just uh, an absolute computer whiz, right? And this is a guy; he's much better, much smarter, really, than I am. He actually works for Google now in some of their like cutting edge UI stuff that they won't even talk about, right? Uh, and he really introduced me to a lot of stuff that he had just figured out and so this was the days of you know the bbs days uh, and all this bulletin board systems bulletin board software uh and i was just really fascinated by how things connect uh you know with modems and 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 the data and 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 all this and just sort of how i could Go onto a chat room. At the time, it was, you know, these text based chat rooms and talk to people on the other side of the country and see each letter as they type it, right? Um, You know, this was just groundbreaking stuff and this is before the internet even this was when it was all more like kind of what you called packet based systems and stuff or whatever and um so that's kind of how i got into it and, i mean we used to you know this was back when like we wanted to make a sound card so we got out the soldering iron and put together resistors on a, on a uh, breadboard and, and you could just do that just plug it into your parallel port and i mean good luck doing that nowadays it's right. harder. <laughs> right um so I was really, I was really into it in those, but I didn't really think that I would go into it as a profession. Interestingly enough, I think I've always been interested in systems. And so when I went to college, I thought, well, I want to go into medicine because I'm interested in like, you know, the human body and the, and, and biological systems. Right. Uh, but what I found out, so I took, you know, I remember like one of my first classes in college was honors in neuroscience. Right. Uh, so I'm sitting there and I'm like, well, how does the brain work? And they're like, Oh, uh, we don't know, we don't we're not really sure <laughs> well, but what happens if you do this to the brain, and they're like, "Oh, that's a good question you know <laughs> like they I mean, they know some things, but not to the degree, and it was very frustrating to me, like, well, you don't even know what happens like you you' you don't know right or we're, we're, we know so little really, um though granted more than more now than we did twenty years ago when I was in college, uh, and so I actually kind of switched from thinking I would go into neuroscience, biology, medicine, something into uh, computer engineering and then later computer science because I really liked that everything could be understood. Everything, you know, there's really no nothing that ever happens in a piece of software or the an internet network or your or your laptop that it's like science doesn't have an answer for that. No, we do. Like <laughs> yes.
1: It's much much easier to understand when you're in the process of building those systems yeah. at that point, even from scratch.
0: Yeah, and it's still A challenge to figure out. But I guess I like that, you know, short term reward of like when you solve something and you're like, oh, awesome. I've solved it. And I can't imagine these folks who study the brain, for instance, spending a 35 year career, getting to the end of it and saying, I'm almost there. I almost know the answer. (laughs) Like, right. Or it's Uh,
1: more like, I think I know the answer given the current research, but that could change. Next year. <laughs> yeah. So.
0: And I mean, no, you know, no, certainly no knock on those folks, but I just, I, I do not have the patience to do that kind of research. Right. And so, anyway, so that's, that's how I got into computers and software and stuff. And then, you know, did, uh, so I got my computer science degree, worked for a bunch of software companies, startups, you know, internal IT shops kind of across the board for about 10 years. And then um, started. Uh, you know, I had done kind of a, a little consulting through other companies and, and you know, kind of thought like, geez, everybody I've worked for in the startup world or consulting world, they don't know anything I don't know. They don't have some secret powers. Right. So I felt like, you know, I could do this. Um, and so, yes, um, got an opportunity to do a consulting contract really was just, a, you know, myself at the time uh, when I started Unstoppable in 08, January of 08 uh roads so through good, that market. Good, good good time to start a business. Yeah, exactly. Well I always <laughs> I think I always tell folks, uh my wife was pregnant. We had our house on the market trying to sell it. I was going to night school for my MBA and I said, uh, hey, I think I I want to start a business. <laughs> and she's kind of like really <laughs> um, timing is everything. Yeah, well and I think it's and it's kind of it's funny. Like I think it's kind of like there's never uh there's never a good time to do the right thing, right? Mm-hmm. You know, you you have to do it when you're ready to do it. And because I could have said, well, I, why don't I wait until I finish night school? But that would have been such a mistake because I mean, that customer that I got that initial contract with, they're a very large company, like $40 billion company. I mean, and I mean, I'm negotiating a new contract with them right now for, we've been working together for 12 years. And if I had said, mm-hmm. let, me, let me wait two years till I get my MBA, maybe they'd never come back, you know? So it's like, you got to act. You know when the when the uh, it's right to do so you know for sure we are gonna we're gonna come back to that idea of uh, a when to take the leap
1: um so first of all i remember those bulletin board days so i appreciate mm. that we've sort of come full circle in a way that the yeah. beginnings of the internet were just chat and then it, it went into but essentially now when we're talking about new business communications with these uh, fortune 500 companies or Global 100, whatever it comes down to, it still comes down to the efficiency of new chat channels, right? Some companies that we had never expected coming to us about WhatsApp or, or WeChat or any other. Um, so I, I appreciate that, that full circle nature of communication. But I want to step back into the larger topic of digital transformation, which is always squishy. But it strikes me when you were talking about systems, that we kind of went through this growth curve as a society when the internet was first starting. I remember, you know, the battle between WordPerfect and Microsoft Word. And like, these were just viewed as software that could help you do things. So suddenly, PCs could help you replace the cost of typewriters and, you know, all the maintenance that came with it. And Mm -hmm. it felt like each piece of software was a solution unto itself, email, this, that. And I think we've finally come to this point where uh, Mm -hmm. digital transformation is hard because people are still viewing it through the lens of what is the software that's going to get me over that hurdle? But we have not addressed the human systems that interface with those. So I was just curious in your experience with your clients, a $40 billion company, for example, what has been... What have you learned about that interface between, yeah, sure, we can build you this software or you can adopt this new software, but like what about the people that are going to use it and how are you gonna integrate that into your daily operations?
0: Well well, I guess I mean certainly I've learned that it's key. And and that's and I think that's what is really key about the term and the and the, the mindset of digital transformation, right? Is is how do you uh overlap and weave Tools and uh, you know and, and software and hardware and devices into your your process really so it's about all about process right mm-hmm. and like the example I often give uh, is uh, so we do we do a decent amount of work around like document management and electronic records and stuff is just it seems like that's a lot of, that's something that a lot of our customers need and we even actually sell an off the shelf product uh, that we're a partner with a vendor for in addition to customization and custom software and. If you think about uh for a long time people were like we're going to scan all our documents right we're going to digitize all of our paper and okay so then they get all their documents as pdfs in a folder on the network let's say okay but you know that's more convenient and it's better than like a filing cabinet Mm -hmm. but is it really any different i mean if you just have a bunch of pdfs in a drive somewhere on the network like okay yeah, you don't have to walk to the cabinet congratulations right that's not digital <laughs> transformation right uh, and neither is using microsoft word right but if you use microsoft word on office 365 that's running through a sharepoint workflow that is feeding into uh, a um, machine learning algorithm well you know and, and people are interacted and being assigned tasks through that somehow Well, now you're getting to a system right Mm -hmm. To your, to your point. So I think it is looking at that system. Uh, and basically, you know, the key thing that I always kind of say is like figuring out, right, what is the, the rote, uh, low hanging, you know, kind of, uh, low value work. I always call it that we want the computer to do. We want to train or teach the computer or use tools to do this low value work that we are using our most valuable assets, you know, flesh and blood to do. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and we want to free them up and take that off their plate because nobody wants to do that kind of work number one uh but also that just it's not it it's not cost effective to pay them to do it so we want to free them up to do the creative you know the the high touch the customer service the engine you know the the creative the the engineering um whatever it is that you're having them do uh that's what we want to try to make sure as part of our plan of like, you know, this is something people are doing. And so I think that's a little different. That's a unique piece of it. Right. Is like, you're saying, this is the stuff we're not going to digitize. Right. And maybe that's, yeah, that's the a key, good point. Yeah. And maybe that's the key question of like, you know, when you're doing d- digital transformation, you don't just sit down and say, what software can I buy off the shelf? It's what, what is important work that I want people to still do. Mm-hmm. Right? What, c- what can we enable or what can we automate? Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. a good point. So, so an example, I'll give you a quick example. So like one of our customers, they had an engineering department of say 200 people. And they worked on maybe, let's say, 10 different types of projects. Okay. But probably about 80%, 60, 80% of their time was three of those 10 types of projects that were really just kind of copy paste over and i mean really didn't take any i mean they didn't even have to be engineers to do the work they would take people who maybe had a i knew a guy that was like a math teacher and they just said here's here's how you do it you go through this list of steps boom right you have your you have your drawing so we came in and and built a system that automated that those three out of 10 types of projects and just made that 60 percent of work disappear right what did they lay off 30% of people then or 60% of people? No. You know, they, they said, let's take all those people and put them on the real beefy stuff that Mm -hmm. we need. Like we need help on because it's the stuff that takes months and it's totally custom. And it's like, you know, we're doing prototypes and all this stuff on the rote stuff. It's just like the simplest parts of our product, but happens to be the largest sold item. You know, we, we basically taught a computer to do. Right. So, um, that's just, I don't know. That's one approach to it, I think.
1: Yeah. And I think that that points out um, a common block is this idea that automation across the board will deplete jobs when it's really just a reallocation of that human effort into things that would materially matter to your business or actually accelerate your business. So, right, you, in that case, it seems like you're automating the part of, um, the software said that, yes, it's going to, you know, they sell the most or it's just the easiest to sort of get off the shelf. But if you were to dedicate all your human power in that instance, it, you can't see around the corner to the next thing. You can't develop the next, you get slowed down on your product development. So that's, you know, a reallocation of talent is, is yeah. maybe a better way of, of looking at it.
0: Yeah. And I mean, I, I think there probably are times when you, certainly when you invest technology, that it does mean you need less people. Um, you know, however, we also see perhaps that the people you do need might end up being higher skilled labor that you have to pay more. So mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily mean, you, you know, you say, I mean, for instance, you think about like an an automobile, automobile factory. Um, okay, we're going to, we had a hundred people welding. Now we have 10 robots and we have, uh, 10, you know, high-end like robot programmer guys. Yeah, but those 10 programmer guys are probably making pretty good money. Right. Right. (laughs) Um, but if you can output 10 times as many cars, then it's, it's, you know, obviously still a win. Right. So, I mean, there's a lot of, you really got to look at the dollars and cents and the math of it, I think, you know, and, and that's what we do, you know, sit down with our, with our clients and say, okay, let's talk about your, let's say it's your, your contract manager. Okay. And say that's the title of the role. What does he do in an average week? Let's let's write up for an average month. Let's write up every single type of task they do. Uh, how many hours they spend a week on that? What that costs you in terms of dollars? In which of those we think that we can uh, take care of in another in another way? And usually, I mean, in almost all cases, you know, that contract manager is like, please, yes, please. If we can get rid of this thing, because <laughs> I, I I don't want to be the one that has to like track down emails, you know, or autumn or the right. one that by hand has to like populate a, a word document. Right. Um, so yeah, for sure.
2: Yeah. Those are, those are really great examples to help understand there are processes that can be automated, but if we are an organization or a business and they want to take a, take the first step and head in the direction of digital transformation, where do they start?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I think, um, you know, like I was saying, they really have to look at their process, you know, I mean, it it almost starts out like an operations consulting or operational assessment piece. Right. And I mean, I think just about anybody, uh, well, sometimes at the highest level of a company, people know, where are we inefficient? Right. But most of the time Mm -hmm. I, I think they, they often will miss like some of the most obvious things that that, they won't know about them unless they ask the people sort of down the line doing the work. Right. So if they were to call in their actual end users and say, you know, what do you do that uh, you think is a waste of your time? I mean, that's when they'll get the real answers. And it's, it's like you always think of um, undercover boss, right? Right. What happens every single episode (laughs) They're in like, I had no idea that we are paying people to do this. Like we are forcing people to do this or we are, you know what I mean? Like yeah. if it's at McDonald's, like mm-hmm. why are we paying somebody to, you know, uh, do whatever we could just get a faster microwave. Right. <laughs> you know, So it's that same kind of thing is really look at that overall process. And most of the time, You know, I think most of our customers or at least 50% of them sort of know what they want or at least have some general concepts like our problem is uh, we're spending too much money uh, on, you know, shipping um, or mailing contracts or something. Right. And it's like, all right, well, let's let's talk about digital signatures. Right. Um, And they kind of think that's what they want. Anyway, they have an idea. Um, Other times they just they're not sure what's happening. And they're like, I don't know what's wrong. We just, I feel like we're paying mm-hmm. tons of money. We're not getting anything for it. Um, so, but I think they've they got to really start by doing that, you know, time box assessment or, or whatever to, to figure out. Um, and don't, sometimes people put, put the cart before the horse, you know, and they, they start looking at off the shelf software. Like, let me get, let's go do an analysis of every ERP system on the market and then figure out if it's a fit for us. No, right? like you can't mm-hmm. figure out if it's a fit for you right you can
1: you can just jam that square peg <laughs> through that round hole <laughs> yeah
0: and and is that even what you should be solving you know i mean um that, that's that's like it's too easy to think that you can just go buy something off the shelf like that and that's even really what you need because um, maybe that's not where you're wasting money you know no that's interesting right
2: right or even stepping back and looking at the whole process
0: yeah Well, and I think, I mean, there's a bunch of angles to take on it, right? Like, do you, because, you know, do you want to improve your internal efficiency? Uh, Let's say, you know, if you're a law firm and you've got a ton of high paid lawyers, there's a lot of things you could do. Any law firm in the country, there's a lot of things you could do to pay, you know, to have those people spend less time. Um, uh, But, or are you looking out of the marketplace and saying, what can I build? Can I build something that my customers use or interact with to out-compete? You know, can I build some kind of like information dashboard that nobody else has that becomes like a core part of our product, right? So we do that kind of stuff too. And that's a different, kind of a different angle on digital transformation because it's more about your customers, your customers use, right? Uh, of, of your products and how it becomes digital. And, and sometimes it can get a little silly right like to be honest <laughs> like like i i was talking to somebody recently that uh this particular company that remain remain nameless uh they have like some kind of air freshener and they were making it bluetooth enabled and all this so that you know you could hook up to your air freshener and, and control how many times it does what it does i suppose right and it's it's a digital transformation project and i'm kind of like mm, i mean maybe kind of i mean it's it kind of is more just like a product feature right um, there you go that's mm-hmm. that's a is good it-
1: distinction the the feature versus the transformative effect yeah. right because like it's like it- it's like well one end user experience do i really want to install the air freshener app on my phone among the yeah. many dozens of other apps yeah <laughs> yeah and then and then two is it actually transformational? I think this is interesting. I was talking with an analyst the other day and he was saying like, when you think about transformation, you actually have to think about not only transforming your process, but actually transforming even sources of revenue. So in an IOT environment, are you ordering the air freshener or Mm -hmm. does like your refrigerator Order the, You know, like you could have entirely new customers, literally appliances are your customers rather than end users, but that requires thinking way outside your existing process.
0: Yeah. And, and if you say, well, this Bluetooth air freshener is going to order automatic refills for itself. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe that does save me time and money and I get a discount if I do a subscription. So, so I think, you mm-hmm. know, what you to what you said, it's almost like reinventing the value chain a little bit as part of that, right? Um you know, it's not enough just to say uh hey, you can you can uh, like we said we added this feature to something. It's more just by using whatever apps or websites or whatever you've got, does it improve my life, my experience, something like that? Um yeah. or and it's all about people, right? It's it you know, your customers are people and your employees are people. Which one are you trying to improve? You got to pick one. and and that and if you do that that's digital transformation basically that's interesting
1: um we haven't heard that take before the the people-centered approach so i want to i want to go back so you started your business at the cusp of the financial meltdown it's good timing Mm -hmm. we now find ourselves in a similarly trying economic time we have 40 million people out of work um You know, 20% in the UK. Um, So let's just acknowledge the present moment and um, how has this affected your personal work routine? I see we are on Zoom, so I can see that you're in an office environment, but just want to understand how it might have impacted your relationships or the priorities with your customers and just get a sense of how it affected Unstoppable.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. So we have always been a remote shop um, you know, I, my, I've had developers, uh, in Canada and Idaho and Connecticut, Florida, Ohio, Colorado, all kind of all over the place, uh, New Orleans. Uh, and I have done that because one of the real challenges in my industry is finding talent. If you, if you talk to most of my competitors mm-hmm. here in Cincinnati who have a brick and mortar and they have, you know, 10, 20, 30 guys in an office, they all say, I mean, they spend most of their advertising dollars recruiting. Right. Yeah, for sure. Um. And I've never had that problem because, you know, I will, uh, if if I put out a job ad, I'll get posts from all over the U.S. and and I'll draw from any of whatever it is, four time zone or something, right? Um, And so that, you know, we we already had all those tools uh, in place that I think on the operations side, for the most part, it hasn't affected us too much. Uh, it has hurt us that uh, a number of my, my guys that, and myself that have small kids, it's been definitely hard to you know, get enough billable hours in mm-hmm. uh, because we are having to deal with childcare and there's no daycare and stuff, right? And so it's kind of like you can't escape that even if you're working from home. Like, well, where do you kids go? <laughs> um, for, sure. for, some of, for some of the guys that don't have kids, I think it's almost like no change to them. Right. Other than they haven't gotten their haircut in months or, <laughs> right. um, so we've, and it's funny cause we have been using zoom for about, I don't know, two, three years now, like mm, something same. like that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and so it's like, yeah, i heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> like, yes, yes. Everybody's like, oh, this is a new thing. Um, and it's funny, they've gone from like 3 million users to 300 million or whatever it is in the yes. last like four months. I,
1: I am enjoying watching the features race between yeah. Google, Microsoft, and Zoom. Yeah. Like, how long did it take Microsoft to figure out how to put more than like four people? On the screen, like you yeah. just think about, like the, <laughs> the, yeah the hours that were put into, like, no, we got to get multiple people on the screen now. Like <laughs> yeah. we're losing to Zoom.
0: Well, and it's and it's funny because um, it definitely has meant that. You know, us long-standing users are getting more new features more quickly. It's like, oh, there's a new version? (laughs) Normally, it's like three months between, right? So now it's like every other day, there's a new version. So so I think in some ways, operationally, it hasn't affected us as much as other companies. A lot lot of my clients are manufacturers. And obviously, it's been a big hit to them because they've had to operate with like 25% staff. Some of them... Uh, I think basically have just stopped all production and they're just feeding out of inventory that they, they have, um, others, their customers all stop production. And so they're like, well, no, we don't even need to make anything. Um, so that's been a big challenge. And, and, and I've heard, uh, you know, for a lot of them, it's like, um, Initially, I thought they were struggling because I heard a lot of, you know, folks in IT talking about how they're just, it's just killing them that all these people need to work from home. And I thought it was, well, maybe they didn't have the VPN hardware and enough Mm -hmm. counts set up and stuff. And that may have been part of it. But I think it, it was more that not everybody had a work laptop. Right. Yes. And so then they get 350 people Mm -hmm. at home trying to work from their Mac, their desktop, their, their iPhone, their P you know, all this. So it's almost like that. Bring your own device just exploded on steroids. And they're like 60% of my people, we can't get the VPN to work because they're on an old version of windows. I mean, it's just, you can imagine the chaos, and how many weeks does it take you to fix that? Right? Yes.
1: And the um, and the distributed mm-hmm. attack environment also. Yeah. So I am on home Wi-Fi and uh, off hours, I open something on the same computer that I'm using for work. And it's like a malicious yeah. link or malware. And then, oh, Monday morning comes around on my VPN and I'm like just transits straight into the corporate network. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's a tricky system.
0: Yeah, and I, and I, you know it's like good luck ordering three hundred laptops from from HP or something right at the at the start of this. I mean, what's what's the lead time on that, right? If you said, "Oh, we're just going to get everybody other own lap or a work laptop," I mean, it's going to be hard, right? I think. Yes, Because um, There
1: was a run on yeah. uh, webcams and hotspots also. Yeah.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, and so, so I think operationally it's hurt us. Less. But I think something that is a challenge, you know, for me and I think for just about any business or all businesses, uh, is how do you sell and have meaningful prospecting uh mm-hmm. calls and relationships completely virtually? Um, you know, I do all of the sales. Um, I have some help in the marketing department and our business, but I'm really the sales department. Um, and that's a whole other story of, of why that is uh but you know certainly i'm used to initial conversations taking place on the phone um but there's usually some kind of more in person or at least often there's more of an in-person sort of uh, meet up as a next you know sort of follow-up to start to really create a relationship and and some trust And, and you know it's i think that's tricky and people are maybe still getting used to that over um a zoom meeting uh, i think it's possible um but that's a little bit of our unch- uncharted territory um uh, i think for anybody and everybody i mean um just imagine any kind of salesperson that typically wants to meet in person how do they do that right now uh and how do they how do they create that relationship and, and make that sale um and, and granted it's, hopefully it's a little easier now that things have started to reopen um, but even most of my customers, they're still not back in the office, so I can't go visit them. You
1: know? Right. Or even if it's, um, yeah. different stages of reopening, we're not holding mass trade shows or yeah. even, uh, mm-hmm. corporate dinners events, mm-hmm. you know? So, um, yeah, we, we are on the road quite a bit usually. And we, I think we miss some of that travel, not least of which, cause we're tired of the four walls of our house by now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, that, that is tricky. And, and that's actually one of the things that we're seeing a lot of is the need to embrace things like WhatsApp, because these sellers can't go shake hands face to face. So they have to pick the channel that is being dictated by the market. If you are working in Brazil, no one does email, right? So like the same uh, sales methodology you would use in in region in the U.S., just, just straight up doesn't work in some countries. So it's really the market forcing uh, a lot of this um, yeah. change. So this is a, a great segue into the next question, which is since we're very much still in. Um, the pandemic and you know fingers crossed don't face a second wave in the fall it seems we'll be here for some time i think we're very well past the adaptation phase you've either adapted or you haven't um but i guess my question is in the in the calls or conversations you have had with your customers what are they looking to now we get the sense that people are looking not only at Q3, Q4, they're trying to think, what is the technology I'm investing in now, because I'm not going to tear it out three months later, what can I invest in now that gives me a competitive advantage 2021. So just, it's interesting that you have a manufacturing customer set, but just trying to get a sense of where is that conversation in terms of how they're um, investing or, or looking ahead.
0: Yeah. So I think really just about everybody is pretty optimistic. Um, definitely there have been some that have had furloughs, um, uh, perhaps even layoffs. And really I think for the most part more furloughs with with, with some uh, particular customers. Um, but I think, you know, they're looking ahead and, and saying, okay, we're going to come out of this. Like, and, and how do we, how do we get what we expect to maybe be a boom of work done later? Um, and, and so there's almost like, how do we survive and how do we still kind of keep going right now? And then how, but, but also ramp back up. Um, so that's typically, you know, I think the way people are looking, uh, I think from a sort of technology investment side, um, it's interesting. Some of them are saying, okay. And, and I saw this before in 2008, incidentally, um, I had a number of customers that said, look, we are very well capitalized compared to the rest of our competitors in the market. We're sitting on, you know, X million, X billion in cash or something. And so, what we want to do is innovate right now and build like what we think are the future of tools mm-hmm. and, and products, so that when we come out of this, we'll be three or four years ahead, or whatever the number of our customers that basically panicked and and and. Tightened everything down and did nothing right, and so that's kind of interesting. I mean, it's a luxury that, of course, if they're well capitalized, they can they can do, and I, I think it's smart. Of course, the risk is what I've seen what happened back then is, is some of them innovated in the wrong direction and built products and services that the market wasn't ready for. Yeah, you or you bet on the wrong. Wrong tech. Yeah. And even if it's not tech, even if it's like, you know, we're making a new kind of soap or we're making a new kind Mm -hmm. of candy or something, uh, we're going to build a whole new candy factory because we think people are going to be really into this, Mm -hmm. whatever, (laughs) you know, um, does it really come to pass, you know? And so, so it's, it's an interesting strategic decision. Um, I think for the most part, like I said, people are either, you know, looking to build new systems or the other thing that's been really effective for us um, that really is probably like, you know, the biggest lesson I've learned in the last three months is, uh, you know, packaging and developing products or services that are sort of uh, the right fit for the right time. Uh, and, and, and really kind of honed in on that. So, so what I mean is for instance, we've been offering, we, I created probably, it was probably about like October, November last year, I started building uh, up this concept of, uh, sort of like maintenance packages and service packages that were more like retainer based and more sort of all inclusive and all this sort of stuff that it was like one fixed cost they could look at and just say, okay, I can take care of my IT problems, my software problems or whatever it is. uh, And I can give it to this company and I know it will not cost more than X per year. Right. Um, And so what I found is as we went into March here and we had people getting laid off or furloughed or restricting, and then I'm, I'm, you know, sending out some of these uh, offers, they've been jumping at them because they can look at it and say, all right, you know, this is not something where uh, I'm paying an hourly rate and I don't know what my cost is going to be. In some cases, they've been told like no consultants, you got to get rid of all consultants, right? Well, this Mm -hmm. isn't consulting, right? This is a package, you know, (laughs) right, you know? Um, And so we've been able to position it. Uh, And I mean, we've sold three of those in the last, three months, I think to different customers that it's been a real rapid sort of turnover. Um, And I mean, you know, it'll probably be 60, 70% of our, of last year's revenue. We already did this year in those maintenance plans. I bet. Um, And I mean, they're a great deal for the customer then there's no risk to them. They know what it's going to cost, right? Um and in most right. cases And
1: not getting left behind. They're at least yeah. They're maintaining.
0: Yeah. Because the question it answers is like, well, how am I going to keep the lights on mm-hmm. if I have to if I got to scale my team down from say 10 developers to two? Um what uh you know how, how do I do that? Um because we can't just we can't just stop you know? Um, so I feel like it's a solution that really fit the right time. Um, so that's, so that's been really interesting to me because, and I think that's what I've seen in my customers too. And other just peer businesses, you know, everybody is, you know, maybe they used to make, um, I have a friend that owns like a printing business, right? Well, now he's making the floor stickers, you know, the six foot distance stickers, he's making the plastic dividers that are in front of restaurants and all that. Cause you know, he's not, he's not able to sell, um, uh, you know, restaurants aren't like doing new menus maybe, right? Yes.
1: It's- I, I de- Well, I mean, in terms of printing, I definitely <laughs> joke with my wife that it's like the sign companies because like everyone has to have a now o- or like, yeah. yes, we are open or takeout available yeah. or even the the high school graduation lawn sign yep. because we he's doing that too ceremonies yeah yep. that's a that's a unique market
0: adaptation yeah how do you how do you celebrate a graduate when they when there's no graduation well i mean I, I don't know what the numbers are but i bet those sort of graduation type signs letters they do whatever they call that is just you know quintupled yes um, so I, I think that's Definitely. that's it's it's a sort of a like a neat case study on whether, you know, you're a tech business or a manufacturer or whatever your business is, you know, like, what can you find right now that people are buying? Um, and, and some industries have not changed much at all. You know, um, I think some particular industries like construction and utilities, they're just kind of keep on rolling. I mean, they're delayed, but they're not, they can't stop. Yeah. I can't stop. Uh, These are five, six year projects. They're not, they're not giving up on. So, uh, yeah, it's interesting.
2: Well, I like, I like that you're highlighting people are getting creative and they're reframing or adjusting to what's put in front of them. And I'm curious, for we've been talking a lot about digital transformation, but for companies or, or customers that you talk to that are hesitant or still cautious about taking action and actually jumping into digital transformation efforts, what would you say to them? What advice would you give?
0: I mean, I think, you know, it's just vital. I mean, you can't, you can't wait till it's a problem uh, because it might not be something that you can fix at that point. Like maybe it's too late. Um, And I, you know, I don't mean to be a fear monger, but if you, I have come into customers or clients that uh, literally have just been left in the dust by every other single competitor in the market. And you're like, wow, you're still doing this all on paper. You know, you're still doing this, um, you know, whatever in a 1980s sort of mindset way. And and then you say, because what, what happens is they say, well, all right, no, I know, I know. What's the cost to fix it? And you say a very big number. <laughs> and, they, and they can't, and they say, well, we can't do that. We can't do that. Well, why can't they do that? They can't do it because they've had to. Their margins have been crushed already because they're doing stuff by mm-hmm. hand. So, like if you look at them, and let, let's say you've got a company making widgets, and I don't know, let's say they're doing five percent margin because everything is by hand, and they're they're boxing by hand, and all this stuff. Every one of their competitors is using robots and all kind of stuff, and they've got maybe they've got fifteen percent margins, right? So you go and you say, oh, you know, we're going to need you need to go buy five million dollars of robots or something and five million or you know a million dollars in software or something. They can't. It's too late, right? Right. You can't do that without Are well, they're gonna take out a massive loan, uh, because they might not mobile them the money. I mean, I've seen some very bad situations like this, right? Um I had a I had a prospect once I was talking to that, you know, they they were doing um I kind of like really complex packaging design, right? For like you know, products that you would go out and make a million million items and ship them all to Walmart type thing, right? And everything was on paper. And so they'd have this stack, like literally a foot tall on their desk of the work items they did. And somebody had to go through and look at those pieces of paper and figure out what to bill for them for every single step. Like I touched this piece and that cost 20 bucks and I touched this piece, da-da-da-da, right? Mm. So because of that, they were 10 months... 10 or nine or 10 months behind from the point in which they they shipped the product to when they sent the invoice out. Right. So they're sitting on all these folders. They're sitting on money. Yeah. (laughs) And so, yeah, they're sitting on money. And he's he's like, I have maxed out all of our lines of credit. All of our, we have, we are so in debt because I'm running the business on debt because all my, all our our revenue is sitting in these folders. Right. Mm. How can we fix it? Well, I mean, we need, we need to do like, three or four hundred thousand dollars worth of software well i can't do that well yeah no you can't where's the money going to come from i mean what are you going to do say give me 20 percent of your business i mean <laughs> you know it's too late and software
1: um, loan sharking
0: yeah and, and oh. i think in the end they basically i think more or less sold themselves for pennies on the dollar you know that business so
1: that's interesting yeah uh, i think um yes we try to To tread a careful line, we don't try to be fear mongers either. But I mean, it is a very real risk that you will simply be outmaneuvered. And by the time you decide you need to make the change, the investment you're making is not getting you past your competitors. It's just getting you to where they were when they started, right? So you're going to play catch up for a long time.
0: Yeah. Well, and I think we see that in like, I'm trying to think of an example of, uh, you know, some bigger company coming out with an app that's trying to compete with, um, you know, uh, some other real innovative app out there. Like I don't know, if you look at like some of the fintech apps, for instance, that mm-hmm. the big banks are trying to come up with, like, oh, you can go to city.com now and and hook in all of your finances and we'll tell you your cash flow is like, yeah.
1: Was like, Mint was there 10 yeah. years ago.
0: <laughs> and guess what? Mint is better. Mint is gonna be better because by the time they roll that out, it's out of date, right? That's the universal yep. law. Um And, you know, and the thing is, you know, at some point, probably somebody at Mint might've went and pitched that to city and they said not interested or something. Right. So it's like, yeah, I mean, those, those folks will never catch up. Yeah.
1: Yeah, It's interesting. Well, um, we're almost at, at time, but I do want to acknowledge the present situation. So the, as you know, as we all know, um, the murder of George Floyd has precipitated some very important discussions across nearly every industry. Uh, Ashley and I come from uh, a marketing background. We've seen a lot there about ad spend and representation in creative, to say nothing of representation in the actual room that is building ad campaigns and, and stuff like that. And we, we've, when we crossed over to cyber and SaaS, we encountered very much a lot of the same... Uh, diversity and inclusion issues in, in this industry um, but so I want to give you space as a technology leader as a CEO just to talk about what do you what do you think is the role that technology leaders can play in this moment obviously we all have a different part to play we're not policy makers but what are some things that we can do um, as as an industry as a whole
0: Yeah, that's a good question um... You know, and it's a difficult one in technology because it's it, there's a little bit of a, I mean, there is definitely like a um, representation problem, right? I mean, there's, mm-hmm. there's I think, um, you know, if, if you try to have a, a real diverse technology business, um, that's just, I think that's just really hard to do sometimes. You know, I mean, if you look at in college, uh, in my computer science program, uh, I think there was one female in our, in our, uh, in our major at the time and um probably three or four folks that were from asian countries or something like this maybe one african american out of out of maybe 80 right mm-hmm. um and of course you see those numbers play out throughout our field um but i think i mean it's it's certainly something that i think i'm very passionate about personally but that the question is always like well how do you what's appropriate to let that Uh, sort of bleed over into your marketing? Uh, You know, you see a lot of these big companies, of course, you know, putting, uh, making it a major part part of their branding, Nike and others and stuff. Is that something that a small company or a small consulting company can do or should do? It's a good question. It's a good choice. You know, I mean, it's going to be polarizing if you put it out there. Um, Yeah, we've we've opted
1: um, to have some very, uh, frank and difficult and important conversations internally. Um, we're very much of a mind that lip service doesn't really, mm-hmm. I mean, it doesn't really get you very far Doesn't solve any of the major problems. I think looking at sources of recruiting, looking at um, ways we can start to affect change further upstream. Um, you know, we have uh, some programs here where we're headquartered in Virginia that help give access to coding uh, curricula into into schools and stuff like that. But I think we're still having those conversations about for the what are the near term things? And what are the very long term things that we can do to to invest in that?
0: Yeah. And I, and I think for me, you know, where when it comes to supporting diversity or, or supporting minority communities, let's say, or or whatever you want to call that, that term, you know, there's sort of like things that I know I can do. Right. So like supporting or hiring vendors, doing more work from vendors that are, that are black owned, for instance. Right. Um, that's something that, I mean, there's no legal employment law type reason where you might get into trouble if you, if you mm-hmm. you know do that or whatever. Right. Um, and, and I have uh, for, for certain services we're going for because, you know, like uh, for whatever reason, it's probably easier to find, uh, you know, a, a graphic artist, a graphic art design company, for instance, that's minority owned or has, is more diverse than say like you know, software developers or, or other things. Right. Um, there's just more representation in some of those fields, I think. Um, and then also just supporting, I'm like, I'm very active, um, doing a lot of like public service through my local rotary club Mm -hmm. And, and, and our key thing is working with disadvantaged children. Um, and so, you know, like we did a thing, um, uh, it was in December, we went to the local boys and girls club and, and basically I, I said, all right, I want to buy a bunch of laptops for the kids here. Right. Um, and got together, I think we ended up getting like 17 laptops that we, we gave to graduating seniors there. Right. Um, and maybe just like trying to tell those stories, like, you know, uh, w- what I did on social media, cause I mean, obviously I want to promote that we were doing this in the community, but then I talked about how like, look, you know, these kids were amazing. Right. Like went down there and, um, you know, you just, you walk any place you walk into like that, you might have certain expectations. Right. Um, and you talk to these kids and and one of the, one of the kids was like, well, I really want to, this is going to be great to have a laptop because I'm actually designing a fashion line. Right.
1: Yes. Um, so you got to close these gaps, technology yeah. gaps, internet and, gaps, whatever yeah. the connectivity gap. Yeah. And, and
0: the other, yeah. And then the other, the other child or the kid, he was, probably 17 16 he says well this is me be great because i'm i'm actually working on editing my novel right yeah. and and, it, and it's funny because you know our expectations and our stereotypes we carry them with us right and and here's this kid he's, he's wearing like camo camo pants he has long dreadlocks right and and you think and i said well what is your novel about right vampires And it's like, oh, that's not what I would expect. Right. So it just, it's interesting. It's, it's, it's educational. And it's like, we gotta, you gotta put ourselves and have those conversations to always sort of like very intentionally try to break down those preconceptions you have, because you wouldn't think that this, uh, you know, because some folks were telling me like these kids, basically, they come here to avoid the drug dealing scene. Yes. In their neighborhood. Yes. Right. Yeah.
1: Big fan of the Boys and yeah. Girls Club. But I also, yes, I, I think that what you're highlighting is very important in terms of you know, it's one thing if you had written a check for seventeen laptops and walked away. Yeah. But being there and having that personal interaction, it is only in that meeting face to face and having those conversations that you're gonna learn those things. You it's sort of the long reach of the charity or the nonprofit can also create more alienation and more of a gap than than needs to needs to happen.
0: Yeah. So I think, I think it's just trying to, it's just trying to be a good citizen and, and perhaps focus more on that and in the type of things you're getting involved in, uh, you know, focus more on those issues. Um, and you know, I, I think if you're a really big company, you can, you can really take strong stands and stuff, uh, on it and, and maybe influence culture or whatever around that. Um, Whereas I think for a smaller guys, it's sort of like the little things that we can do. You know, I, I can't, I can't fund an endowed scholarship at Harvard uh, for <laughs> not yet. Something. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and if you get to the point, if I get to the point that I can, then I should. Right. So, yeah, so, I don't cool. know, it's, it's an interesting question. Awesome. Well, uh, Sam, that is the time
1: that we have. Thank you very much for taking the time out of your day to have this conversation. It was it was very illuminating. Um, I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me, and it's been a good conversation. Cool. All right.
2: Thanks for joining.
0: Thank you. And that wraps another
1: episode of the Zero Hour, brought to you by Safeguard Cyber. Many thanks to Abby Bruce for sound design and production, Mattias Cefaletti for our theme music, and to our guests, as always, for lending their time and insights. Stay safe. Stay strong. This is The Zero Hour, signing off for now.